Good morning, everyone. You're tuning into the Morning Mixtape News. It's May 3rd, and I'm your host, Benjamin Bilgan, reporting for CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto. Today, it's all about workers' rights. Monday was May 1st, a day that's celebrated across the world as International Workers' Day. International Workers' Day has been celebrated by the working class across the globe for over a hundred years. It's traditionally been celebrated each year to commemorate the workers who were killed by police during a work stoppage in Chicago in 1886, in the event known as the Haymarket Affair. These workers were part of an international movement campaigning for the eight-hour workday, a mainstay of the modern workplace many of us now take for granted. On Monday, workers gathered in public squares across the world to celebrate the victories of the working class and to protest current working conditions. Thousands of workers gathered in South Korea, the Philippines, Venezuela, Sri Lanka, Turkey, France, and many other countries to voice their collective frustrations. The overarching concern for workers this May Day was the global cost of living crisis and stagnating wages across the board, compounded by brutal inflation in the wake of the COVID pandemic and the ongoing war in Ukraine. There hasn't been any significant uh, wage increase, much less um, wage increase to approximate uh, living wage. We have uh, working people constantly um, trying to make ends meet. There were also some chilling echoes from the origins of International Workers' Day this year. Violence between protesters and police broke out across France, and especially in Paris, where police used tear gas and water cannons to disperse protesters who had gathered in the hundreds of thousands. The French people have been protesting for months over President Macron's attempts to raise the pensionable retirement age from 62 to 64. Clashes were also reported in Turkey, where worker demonstrations were heavily policed. A group of workers were detained after trying to access Istanbul's Taksim Square, an historic meeting ground for workers and protesters. It was an eventful May Day for Canadian workers this year as well. After being on strike since April 19th, on Monday, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, or PSAC, and their employer, the Treasury Board, finally negotiated a tentative agreement. This ended the strike for 120,000 workers across the country. PSAC represents the people who work for federal government departments and agencies, crown corporations, universities, casinos, community service agencies, Aboriginal communities, airports, and the security sector. Some of the key issues for PSAC workers at the Treasury Board during this round of bargaining were securing wages that would keep up with inflation and ensuring flexible work arrangements that would allow PSAC workers to work remotely. At the start of the negotiations, the Treasury Board was offering PSAC workers a raise of 9% over three years, while the union demanded a 13.5% raise over three years. According to the announcement issued by the PSAC bargaining team, the tentative agreement secures a 12.6% increase over three years for PSAC workers. The agreement also ensures that managers are held accountable for approving or denying remote work requests, and managers are required to consider requests on a case-by-case -case basis instead of issuing blanket refusals for entire departments. However, the tentative agreement with the Treasury Board does not cover the remaining 35,000 PSAC workers employed with the Canada Revenue Agency, these workers remain on strike and on the picket lines. They are seeking a 22.5% raise over three years. Now for some news from across the border. 
U.S. regulators with the FDIC intervened on Monday, May 1st, in what is being described as the second biggest bank failure in the history of the United States. The California state government seized control of the San Francisco-based First Republic Bank on Monday morning. In a brokered deal led by the FDIC, regulators announced that the First Republic Bank's deposits and most of its assets had been sold off to J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. First Republic Bank is the third mid-sized U.S. bank to fail in two months, preceded by the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in March. Trouble started brewing for First Republic during the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank. Like the SVB, the majority of First Republic's clients are the ultra-wealthy, including the likes of Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. First Republic attracted this wealthy clientele by offering their customers huge loans and extravagant mortgages at low interest rates, which allowed them to rapidly build up deposits. But when the Silicon Valley Bank started to fail, depositors at First Republic started to worry their own deposits might be at risk too, and they quickly began withdrawing huge sums of money. In fact, First Republic reports that $100 billion were withdrawn from the bank within a few days in mid-March. First Republic started scrambling to come up with the cash to pay its depositors and announced plans to sell off its unprofitable, low-interest loans and lay off a quarter of its workforce. But these measures weren't enough to stave off the bank's freefall, and U.S. regulators had to step in to protect depositors. In a call with reporters, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon assured the public that the banking crisis is mostly over and that the financial system should stabilize soon. No crystal ball is perfect, but yes, I think the banking system is very stable. I think this is, you know, there may be another smaller one, but this pretty much resolves them all. But this part of the crisis is over. But it's unclear what Dimon meant by saying there may be another small one, and just how small the next crisis will be. In the early morning rain, with a dollar in my hand, that was the sound of the iconic Canadian folk icon Gordon Lightfoot, who passed away at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto on Monday night. Lightfoot was internationally recognized as a formative voice in the folk revival scene of the 1960s and 70s. He was described by folk legend Bob Dylan as a rare talent, and his songs were covered by renowned artists such as Elvis Presley, Barbara Streisand, Johnny Cash, and Harry Belafonte, who also passed away last week. Lightfoot described his music as a unique blend, remarking in an interview from 2000 that it's not country, not folk, not rock. I simply write the songs about where I am and where I'm from. Lightfoot was born in Aurelia, Ontario, and showed signs of musical talent at an early age. He sang in the choir of Aurelia's St. Paul's United Church and performed in numerous singing competitions during his teen years. Lightfoot started out his career as a singer-songwriter in the folk music scene of Toronto and his first gig was at Fran's restaurant downtown. And the rest is history. He will be greatly missed. Rainy day people always seem to know when it's time to call. To round off today's show, we'll finish with a quick update on the ongoing labor dispute between TMU management and QP233, representing our campus custodians, cleaners, technicians, groundskeepers, and more. QP233 has been on strike since April 16th. Negotiations don't seem to be going anywhere with TMU management. However, 
QP233 workers got a major morale boost last Thursday on April 27th when the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, paid them a visit on the picket line. Singh and a few other labor advocates from the province delivered messages of support for the striking workers during a short rally on Thursday afternoon. Here are some of the highlights from their speeches. I now want to welcome Sister Andrea Babington. I have a message for this employer. We are seasoned fighters. And that's why it's fire in my belly and I'll continue to fight because no one has the right to go out and put up with disrespect from employer because they don't love us. They just want what you can use to build up their empire. The leader of the federal NDP, welcome, Jamie. Brothers and sisters and siblings, I gotta say, uh, you are fighting an important fight today. We know that Everyone is feeling the squeeze of inflation. You've seen the prices for groceries go up. You've seen the cost for housing go up. You've seen every single bill go up. Has your salary gone up? No. Is that okay? No. Workers deserve salaries that keep up with inflation. That the workers here are coming together and fighting for respect, are fighting for good pensions are fighting for good wages, and you deserve it! You're listening to CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Benjamin Bilgan, and I'll be back next Wednesday for more news at Morning Mixtape. Thanks for listening.